Welcome to the Elevate the Vibe podcast, bringing you juicy combos with thought leaders discussing the wild world of parenting. I don't even show my daughter her report card, and I'm going to try not to as long as possible. I know the social thing is going to come in soon, where kids are going to be like, I got all A's, and she's going to be like, Mom, what does my report card say? What did I get? For right now, she knows it's not about the grades. It's did you try your best? Welcome to the Elevate the Vibe podcast, Vibarinos. This is Jason Berlin, your host of the Elevate the Vibe podcast. And with me is my beautiful co-host, Katie Berlin. Welcome to the Elevate the Vibe podcast. If it is your first time here, we are thrilled to have you joining us. And if you are a seasoned Vibe hiver, we are also thrilled to have you joining us. Thanks for coming back or thanks for coming for the first time. All are welcome. It's like cheers. <laughs> right. If you know that reference. Except no norm. If you don't know that reference, then just just never mind. No Woody? I don't even know who all of those people are. Is that even are. the right show? I'm not sure. No Bull. Oh, that's Night Court. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that one either. All right. <laughs> but anyway, today on our show, we have a dear friend of ours joining us. Her name is Jackie Gambone. Doctor. Yes, to us, she is Jackie Gambone, the most fabulous wife, mama, we know, good, dear friend to us, but to the world. She is a boss. She is Dr. Jackie Gambone. PhD. Like I said, a wife, a mama to three adorable little babies and two angel babies. Her career is extremely interesting and unique. She educates educators. That's right. She educates educators. She has a PhD in post-secondary and adult education. And wait until you hear her story on The Catalyst for her why and what transitioned her into that. It's really kind of like a wow moment. Jackie is also a life coach. She's an engagement strategy creator and the vice president of a perinatal loss charity. As we mentioned, she does have two angel babies called the Bill Sweeney Perinatal Care Fund. Vibe Hive, let's welcome Dr. Jackie Gambone to the show. Well, Dr. Jackie Gambone, welcome to the Elevate the Vibe podcast. Not only are you a esteemed colleague, a loved mother, but you are also one of our very best friends. So we are excited to have you on today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Please introduce yourself to the Elevate the Vibe audience. Okay. Well, I'm Jackie Gambone. I am a wife of a drummer. I am a mother of three babies with legs and two babies with angelings. I am a college professor. I have been, this is my 14th year there. And prior, I taught in K through 12. I taught like all the grades, pre-K, elementary, middle, and high school. And I am just finishing a year where I had sabbatical for mastery learning, intrinsic motivation, things like that in the education system. And then I had maternity leave for our newest little man. And now I am just, I just finished my spring semester yesterday and started my summer today, my summer semester today. Whoa. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. Quick, quick, quick break, 12 hour break. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so she's squeezing us in while her students are taking a quiz. No. Yes. Oh, this is great. This I'm happy to do this. This is so exciting. Awesome. Before we dive into some of what you just shared with us, I want to talk a little bit about your path to education and how you knew you wanted to go in this direction. Yeah. So my mom and dad always kind of joked around that I came out of the womb with a piece of chalk because I just always wanted to teach. I would always take dittos. We called them dittos back in the 80s, you know, (laughs) Uh, but copy is that my teachers would be throwing in the, the bin and they would say, oh, Jackie, you can take these to your classroom at home if you want. So I would always take them. And I had all these like math. Remember mad minutes? <laughs> Do you remember? Mad that? minutes. I don't remember. So I would that. take my mad minutes and I would take any like spelling tests and writing and things like that. And I would bring it home. I had this really like ancient chalkboard. And my favorite thing in the world was going to get school supplies. I, I couldn't <laughs> wait to go into the walmart or wherever we were going gosh i feel like it was like kmart yes and it was something else that i can't even think of right now but there was like this mart in the mall that had (laughs) school supplies and i just loved going there and i would dress my brother up in a purple tutu i don't know why i did that but i would make him be my student along with stuffed animals and friends and it was just always fun i loved it always loved babysitting, working with kids. I I went to camp growing up and then I became a camp counselor. So I feel like I was just constantly working with kids. Ironically, I didn't know if I wanted any of my own, but I really loved working with other people's children. And uh, then I got into college. I was supposed to go down to North Carolina, but I kind of freaked out. I wanted to stay closer to home. And I'm really glad I did because I went to Westchester University and they had an incredible teaching program and I got some amazing experience and uh, I, I didn't plan on really going for my master's or anything like that. I thought I would just teach and that would be that. And then when I started teaching, we had a, um, it was my first day of teaching really flying solo in the classroom where my co-teacher um, was saying, hey, you know, it was like a Uh, I don't know exactly what you'd call it, kind of an internship, but I was able to teach. She like fully let me do my thing. And it was my first day where she said, hey, you're going to take over and and do this. And it was September 11th, 2001. And uh, within minutes of me starting teaching, we got these strange messages, cryptic, we have to evacuate the school. And I'm like, what? I don't even understand what's happening. And the teacher I was working with, she said, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I feel like our country's under attack right now. Like I remember going into the library there at the school and seeing, I was in Philadelphia and seeing the, the videos come up and I said, what do we do? And she's like, we have to get the kids out of the school and you need to go home because I lived in New Jersey and they were gonna close the bridge. So we got the kids out of the school and I drove crazy over that bridge to get back to Jersey. And I just remember thinking, no one prepared me for this. You know, they prepared me for what I can read in a textbook. They prepared me for how to give a test or, you know, how to how to manage kids when it comes to no talking. But there really wasn't much about the real things that were happening, like, you know, a pandemic or anything like that. So I immediately said, I have to go back and get my master's and my doctorate to, to teach adults one day how to better prepare for the classroom. 
And I, I did, I went and got my master's. So basically only as a conduit so I could get my PhD in adult learning so that I could kind of work with my college, my, as a college professor with my students on how to, of what's really possible in a classroom, not just the teaching part, but the everything else part, almost some of the more important things that come into the classroom. And that's where I'm at now. I, I love what I get to do every day. I get to teach amazing either pre-service teachers or people that are already teachers in how to just hone their craft and be more ready for, for what the world's gonna throw at us. And I think everybody's understanding that more and more now with the advent of virtual learning and how they've just been thrown into it. So it's been a very interesting time to say the least in education. Yeah. That entire story, and of course you summed it up, it's like you've lived it over years, sparks yeah. so many questions. Like I have a thousand questions for you around it. and. I'm going to go really fast so that we can get through all of them. You might narrow it down to like 12. <laughs> yeah, we'll Absolutely. see if we get to like four. <laughs> With the idea that you realized like you were in this classroom and you felt as a teacher you were not equipped with the necessary life skills to handle the various scenarios that came up. Now looking back from the past year that we just had, I would love to know from all of your training and how you've been working with your students for the past 14 years, what skills were you able to pull from that really helped you in our current environment? Yeah, that's a great question. I think two of the skills that I've learned that have been the most helpful, and not just in my life as a professor or teacher, but as a parent, as a human, one is growth mindset, really. It's all about you know, I grew up very fixed minded. This is Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset. And if anybody out there has not read it, read it. It was really life changing for me. And I think what I learned from that book is I grew up very fixed minded. I had to be perfect. There was, <clears throat> excuse me, no room for failure. And if I did fail, I beat myself up almost to the point where I didn't want to try again. I didn't want to try again so that I wouldn't fail again. And growth mindset has taught me, and I say this over and over again, but fail, I, I saw this on Pinterest one day, fail stands for first attempt in learning. And I'm obsessed with that because I give myself permission to fail all over the place. And I tell my students, we're going to have a fail fest. Let's fail together because if we can communicate well, and when you're failing, if we can then learn and then get another chance, that tenacity, that grit let's master the learning. Whereas I think even before as a professor, I would be like, well, either submit it or it's a zero. And um, what I've learned is that's not the best way to be because then they're missing content. They're missing opportunities to grow. They're missing opportunities to learn. So when it came to virtual learning, teachers had to be growth-minded because it was either that or they're going to, they would have to leave the field because they were, these teachers, K through 12, especially, were literally thrown to the wolves of this pandemic. First half of last year, the second half of last year's for these most teachers in the United States was just thrown into a completely asynchronous virtual setting where my daughter was a first grader last year. And it was extremely difficult for her. She couldn't use a computer. She wasn't typing well. She 
you know, I mean, she knew very minimal about the virtual world because we do limit our screen time. So it was shocking for her. And I felt like she was lucky that my husband and I were able to be so hands-on. And that was not the case for so many families because their parents had to work full-time, not at home or somewhere else in the house. And they couldn't be with the kids all the time. So there was a major frustration for the parents, for the kids, for the teachers. I mean, it was really a disaster on so many levels. So the growth mindset that the teachers brought, they brought creativity. They brought their growth mindset towards learning new tech skills like Nearpod and Google Classroom and fun online activities that would engage the students and virtual field trips. I mean, my kid this year in second grade has not missed a beat with virtual instruction, really. She has really soared. And I, 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 some of that is because we worked with her to make sure she was going to be okay in that virtual setting. But the majority of it is because her teacher was growth-minded and empathetic and kind and helpful There was never any blame or anger. There was just, let's reflect and let's see what we can do to grow. And if we make mistakes, let's try again. One example I can give that I just loved about that growth mindset, and this is a perfect example, is my daughter did not understand greater and less than. She just couldn't understand it. And she got like a one out of six on a quiz. And her teacher who had explained it to her, um, I think it was something like the, the bigger the V, the bigger side is going to eat the bigger letter and the little side is going to point to the smaller, not letter, you know, numbers. This is what happens when you have all these babies, your brain stops working, (laughs) but the pointing to the smaller number and the teacher said, why don't you try again? And Juliana, it like clicked for her. She was able to understand it. She was able to try again and she got a six out of six. And what I talked to her about, I said, what's important about that? And she said, I know it doesn't matter about the grade. It matters what I learned. And I said, that's right. Because now who cares about that six points? What do you know now? She said, greater than less than. So now she's not going to go to third grade going, well, I don't know what the heck greater than less than is because her teacher gave her another try to show tenacity, grit. She was able to fail and feel okay about it so she could then grow. So teachers are doing that all over the place. And it's, it's phenomenal because if they're not getting that opportunity, they are going to struggle next year when they are face-to-face, God willing, they're face-to-face, please. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they're going to struggle if, they're, if they've missed these chunks of scaffolding because they didn't get that opportunity. So growth mindset is one. And the other one is the virtues language. There's a wonderful project called virtuesproject.com. And I took the training, but anybody has access to that link uh, online. I believe it's www.virtuesproject.com. And uh, it shows you that it's not the best thing in the world to just say, good job. Because when we say good job, kids expect good job. They expect that pat on the shoulder, that at a girl, at a boy, at a them. They expect that. And what virtues allows us to do, and I'll show you a difference. If Juliana or Savvy was mommy, 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 and I'm saying, I could either say to them, you need to give me a minute. You, you need to give mommy a minute. I'll be right with you. Or if I employ the virtues language, I could say, hey, honey, I'm in the middle of something. Do you have the patience to wait? 
And then the child says, yeah, I have the patience to wait. And then what do they know they have? They know that they have patience. Instead of the parent being like, basically get out of my face, give me a minute. And then the child just feels like you don't care or they feel pushed away. So the same language is true even with my college students when they are working so hard, instead of me just saying, good job, I love your post. It can be something along the lines of, I really appreciated your determination in completing this while working a full-time job and blah, 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 right? And in addition, you showed incredible creativity with X, Y, Z. So it's using this virtues language, this terminology that we believe everybody has inside of them, but society has just shoved it down over time so that people now think that they can't do things or they're afraid to take a risk or they're stupid or they're not good enough. And the virtues language is really incredible to show people what they have. So I think those two things for me as a professor using them has been so helpful and also really leaning into that empathy, thinking if I was a student during this time, what would I need? I would need flexibility from my professor. I would need understanding. I would need extensions when possible. Uh, so that's been really helpful for me. And I tell all my students, hey, if you need that, come to me. It helps me if you come to me before an assignment is due so that we can work it out together. But just having that open dialogue and I see my daughter's teacher even in the early grades doing it all the time, it makes a huge difference. So I think that's been really helpful because this is unprecedented. I mean, who would have thought a year and six months ago that we would have been primarily online for a year and three months. And a lot of our district here in Maryland where we are, I think it's like 76% is still or it was anyway, last month was still virtual. So it, it, it's been a year, you know, education has taken a hit. There's this aspect of mindset. And I love that you tapped into this because it's something that I think is so important in life. Like it's, if you look at my Instagram bio, I have it in there. Like to me, mindset <laughs> is everything. Yeah. And I love the reframing of the word fail. Like I personally don't subscribe to the idea of failure in general. I think everything is like continual evolution, continual learning. It's just like a constant evolution. We're always evolving as people, as a planet, as a species, like it's just constant evolution. And there's never one right way to do anything because like if you think about what was considered common practice in like medicine a hundred years ago where people would do like crazy things like, okay, well, we're just going to like cut that long just out. Just chop it off. We don't need it. Yeah. With like a, <laughs> like a doll spoon yep, because you don't, spoon. yeah. And it's like, now we know better. So there's better options. It's mm -hmm. like a constant evolution. There's no such thing as, as like right or wrong. And when you think about like you tapped into this specifically, but when you think about children and their level of creativity and imagination and wanting to foster that and having the right language and the right tools to foster that. As parents, I think that's really important. Like with the two of us, we try to say like, I love watching you play or I mm -hmm. love watching you participate in this or whatever it is. So it's not like, 
hey, when you painted that, you did a great job or you didn't do a great job. I am a victim of telling Sammy that he does a good job all the time. So I need to reinforce that with a little bit more specificity of a, hey, you know, you were so inventive with what you created. You know, I really enjoyed your follow through in creating something versus good job. But I do catch myself saying that 15 times a day because he does do a good job, but he is also very young. But it's also the entire process of what we were taught, like our generations were taught. And when you think about even how that plays out in the workforce, because pretty much all of us are working in some way or another. Yeah. There are so many times when you're in a work situation where if you were given the freedom and flexibility to actually think about the project that you're working on or whatever you're doing, if you were given the freedom and flexibility, the outcome of what you're working on could be amazing. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm not discrediting this person individually, but like, if you think about Elon Musk, this man is a genius. And it's like, well, how many of us could be like little Elon Musk's? Maybe we're not that level, but how many of us could be if our conditioning and our thought process wasn't, if we, if we weren't taken down the path where we just wanted to check the box that we were doing a good job. And how many times with like a supervisor or a boss or whoever it is, customers that you need to report into that you just do something because you know, it's what they want. You're doing it because you, it's like, yeah. And it's generational too. Like if you think way back to like Catholic schools with, you know, if you didn't do the math problem correctly, they bang you with a ruler, you know, it's like you were Mm -hmm. almost afraid to get things wrong. You know, you were afraid to answer incorrectly. I had a math teacher in third grade named Mr. Slinker who would do the clicker game. And what he would do is he'd ask you a math problem and he, you'd stand in front of the class and he would just snap at you until you figured out the problem. So you were kind of like petrified. You were like afraid. You're like, yeah. uh, I better know what two times two is so I don't get afraid in front of the class and get bullied because this giant dude who looked like the Quaker Oats guy, Wilford Brimley was up <laughs> top of my school, you know, in front of the class, you know, forcing you to, to answer or else. So it's yeah. like the evolution of teaching has come such a long way too in well, language. You would, That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you would hope it has. Yeah. Like, you would hope that. I think he's like 90 now, or like, I don't know. He was super old back then. So, but so many, (laughs) but like, so many of us have this mindset, and it's not even something that we're cognizant of. It's just ingrained in us from a young age. Well, and that's the thing I always say I say to my students if you really think about our system in, in education right now, We started with the standards movement in 1980, where they were so freaked out from Sputnik and everything else in education that we needed to bring everything back to the standards to that, you know, reading, writing, math, science. And it became all about these standardized tests and the curriculum. And it became all about really this A through F system. And when you're looking at A, in most cases, it's met. A is met. Do what I want you to do. You'll get an A. It's met. But where's the creativity in that? Where's going above and beyond to show more? And that's one of the reasons I love Montessori education. I wish I had all the money because if I had all the money, all of my children would be in Montessori schooling. But unfortunately, it's expensive. It's like $1,000 on average a month if you're lucky. And three kids, like $1,000, it's a lot of money. And I'll be first to say on my salary, I can't afford that. So 
I think it's unfortunate, but when you look at the top minds, you know, we've got the founders of Google, you know, we've got the founders of Amazon, we've got, I mean, just some of the most brilliant minds are graduates of Montessori education, where it's not about grades, there's no grades, it's all about mastery, and you get to be creative and think about what you're curious about. It's all about curiosity and progressivism and what can you test and what did you learn from this? And you're almost designing your education to be able to learn skills that are needed for life. And again, that tenacity, that grit, that power of yet, I haven't done this yet, is built into the curriculum because it's all about mastery. And that's what I spent my sabbatical researching. And that's what I'm bringing to the college right now is we're doing a pilot on mastery because grades are really kind of like that good job, right? Grades are a lot like that to students. And when I talk to my students about how do you feel about grades, the majority of them feel stifled by them. They feel panicked about them. So, I mean, we try our best and, and don't get me wrong. I am far from a perfect mother. I mean, when you were saying that Jason about, you know, how you say good job, I do it too. So it's about being cognizant. Like I'm kind of unlearning to relearn over and over again, how to fix what I'm doing. Again, I fail every day as a mother. And then I'm at the end of my day, what, did, what can I do better tomorrow? Right. Failing all the time as a human, how can I continue to grow? Right. And I just think, it's so important to just continue to think about that. How can we allow students to master things and use their creativity to move forward? Because the way schools are doing it, they're really judging people based off of the same ideas of what is right. You know, I don't even show my daughter her report card. We don't do that. And I'm going to try not to as long as possible. I know the social thing is going to come in soon where kids are going to be like, I got all A's. And she's going to be like, mom, what does my report card say? What did I get? For right now, she knows it's not about the grades. It's did you try your best? And Mike and I are very intense about like, nope, we are not showing you that report card because that doesn't matter. You know, even with me going to get my job, I worked my behind off to graduate at the top of my class because why? I thought it was so important, right? To graduate that summa or magna cum laude where you got to get all the points, right? When I went out for my jobs, no one even freaking looked at my GPA. You know what they wanted to know? Can you teach well? That's it. Do I have the skills? Have I mastered what it takes to be a teacher to that level? Because I kind of hate like a master educator. You'll never be a master educator because you're just going to keep learning and learning and growing. So I'm with you on that evolution. I think it's really, really important. And yeah, I just, there's so much that's broken, really. That's just, and grades are not evil. I know that they're a snapshot of where we are. And are there other ways to capture that? Yes. Wow. With the work that you've been doing and the sabbatical that you did take and all of this information that you've been compiling, what are some of the different bits of feedback that you've received and you've been able to see on like a large sample from like a large sample size of this application of like mastery learning versus grade learning? Yeah, great question. I did a pilot study with my students and I had 64 students in my face-to-face classes. I wanted to try it with my face-to-face because I just hadn't quite figured out how to manipulate the online situation for that. It's a little trickier. 
Uh, but with my face-to-face -face students, during the first week of class, we didn't even look at course material. We literally talked about mindset. We talked about our personal values, how we're going to honor our own values, how we're going to honor the values of each other in the classroom. And then we talked about grades and we talked about the impact of points and this and that. And I said, one of my core values is intrinsic motivation. I said, I want all of us to be in here together because I teach future teachers and some current teachers as well. But I said, I want us, our goal should be to learn as much as we can to just improve and up the awesome in our instruction, really. How can we just keep getting better for our students, right? That's the ultimate goal. How can we learn more to just be better at this job? And I said, so I'm giving everybody a choice in here. And I gave them this survey and they thought they were being punked. Like they were like, is this a joke? We're not really sure what's happening here. And I was like, this isn't a joke. I have zero attachment to what you choose. But the choice was, if they wanted to go by the syllabus guidelines and have it be a completely graded points-based class, then they would choose side A. Side B is where they thought they were being punked because side B was, you're going to get the A in the class. Let's just take that off of our plate. You'll get the A in the grade book. Who cares? But here are the guidelines. You have to show up every day. Same policy, but you got to show up not because you have to, not because there's points associated, because you really want to. And I said, you have to do the work. And you're not going to get any grades from me. You're just going to get feedback and you have to respond to that feedback because we're going to engage in dialogue about it because that feedback should be there for you to then grow and learn so that you can improve as you progress in the class. I said, you still have to take all your tests and quizzes, but you're not going to get a grade on those. You're going to go back to any that were wrong and you're going to see what makes them right. So you can go back to build that again, tenacity, grit, understanding of that material. And I said, so if you choose this option, again, you're going to get the A in the grade book. However, there is a caveat. I'm going to be watching you. And if you're not showing up, if you're not doing your work to the best of your ability, and I'm noticing this, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a curious coach-like conversation of, hey, I'm noticing you're not showing up to the best of your ability. Tell me more about that. And that's on the student to reflect. So 64 students gave them the choice. All 64 chose side B, intrinsic motivation. Admittedly, some of them at the end said, we chose this because we thought it would be easier. They were like, it was not. We were actually putting more work into this because it wasn't just about a grade. It was about how can we prove to ourselves what we know? How can we show our professor what we know? It was really awesome. So the feedback in that realm was fantastic. Some of the students were like, I was actually taking what I was learning and teaching other people about it. And I was like, yeah. You know, that's what we want, right? That's the whole point in learning so that we can share our knowledge and grow from that. Um, the students were saying how cool it was that usually when they got a test back or a paperback, they would look, they would see a grade and they would look at the grade and then shove it into their folder. They said now that there was no grade and there was nothing on the top of that paper other than feedback, they sat there and I watched them sit there and they were reading and they were looking through the paper and they were like, what did she say? And then they had a form that they had to fill out afterwards to submit back to me about what did you learn? What was the most powerful takeaway from the feedback? Where do you want to grow in your next work? So it was really all about mastering. When they got things wrong, they could go back and have an opportunity to re learn, which they said that was so cool because before, if they get a seven out of 10 on a quiz, they would just see a seven out of 10 and be like, it is what it is and move on. They would never go back to those other three 
or five or seven that they got wrong and learn that information. So the feedback at the end, it was really cool. I, I asked them a, a lot of powerful questions because I've also studied life coaching, not so that I could be a life coach, but so that I could take all of those gems and put them into my instruction. So that's also been, I would, I would add that as my third thing <laughs> of what's really powerful is really engagement and life coaching is just really powerful. Um, we can all benefit from that, in my opinion, and it's not therapy. It's literally just how can we continue to be curious and grow as humans. And, you know, that experiment kind of with my students, five of them did not complete in that way. So one of them withdrew from the class for personal reasons. It had nothing to do with that. And, and we communicated and it was a great conversation. And four of them along the way, we had that uncomfortable conversation. You're not showing up. You're not submitting work. What can we do? Here's the options. And they, those four decided to go back to the graded way of work because they realized, and this is powerful, that they were not as intrinsically motivated as they thought. And in that, they said that was powerful learning because uh, those four students worked and worked and worked, even though they knew it was a grade at that point, they successfully completed the course because at that point they wanted to prove it to themselves. So that was really cool conversation even to have, you know, anecdotal feedback and the actual uh, surveys that were sent to the students um, said things like it was one of the most powerful experiences for them, that their intrinsic motivation from this course was now flowing into other courses because they're very aware that they were getting grades in other classes and they were not getting grades in mine. Um, and that they worked hard, sometimes even harder in my class than they did in other classes. And this wasn't because of me. That's very clear. This was not about me at all. This was them. So it was their work ethic and their drive and their ambition to learn. So I was really just there to support them and have empathy and give extensions if needed so that we could work towards those mastery components instead of just, well, you didn't do it. That's a zero end of story. Like effort has a lot to do with the mastery component. And I think that's important because I mean, look at even some of the most famous people. Like I love that on a 40th birthday card to me, it said WD 40. It's because it took 40 tries to make the right formula. Right. And I was like, oh, never knew that. What, how growth minded of them. They didn't just say, oh, this didn't work. Right. So I think that this, that's what we need in life. We need the ability to work for the things we want and to work hard for them, not just to be like, well, the only reason I'm doing this is to check a box and move forward. Because to me, I'm like, oh, your time could be so much different. As parents, it's the, like the aspect of being able to pull that intrinsic motivation or stimulate that intrinsic motivation in your children is something that I think probably every parent would want for their child because you hear a lot of parents say something along the lines of like, I want my children to have better than, than I had it. And I hear that often. And I, for myself, I think like, well, maybe they mean from like a material point of view, like a, like a financial or like opportunities. But I think about it from a mindset point of view and an, an opportunity point of view as far as how could I support you so that you have the freedom, like the mental freedom to go and explore the world in the way that it benefits you and you're getting the most out of life. 
Yeah. And as a parent, it is hard because I mean, I, you know, I'm not a perfect parent. I don't have perfect kids. Right. Uh, I do have a really good partnership with my husband. So that is like what saves the day because we, we, we really do co-parent very well together. But my kids, what I notice is that I can preach and preach and preach. And it's hard because you're so invested in these tiny humans. You don't want them to be perfect. You want them to learn and you want them to grow. And I fail at that a lot because I'll find myself getting caught up in the raw words or pressures or things like that. So I love that I can keep going back to this to improve, to be better, to remind myself, oh, use the virtues language or lean into growth mindset because right now there's a learning opportunity here and no, she didn't do what you wanted her to do and she made a bad choice and she wasn't kind. And how can we work on that to talk more about what is kindness and what does that look like and how can we grow and how would you want to be treated in that empathy? Because it is hard. I feel like sometimes I could raise other children better than my own. (laughs) You know, you just get so invested when it's your heart. So like I said, just failing all over the place, but really trying to to learn and move forward with that. So I, I do think a lot about what I get to do with the mastery stuff and how that can impact my parenting because it is a lesson in it all. And the college really liked what I was doing with my sabbatical and my students. So now I'm going to be starting in the fall with um, three other amazing professors at my college. We are going to be running a um, pilot on mastery learning, basically how to look at our instruction through the lens of mastery, to lean on all of that feedback, mindset, virtues, how to be, you know, equitable and more thoughtful, just and purposeful about our instruction. And are we modeling what we're preaching? That was like the biggest aha moment for me when I was saying growth mindset, growth mindset, you've got to know this, you've got to know this. And then I'm like, if you don't turn it in by Sunday, it's a zero. Mm -hmm. Like that was a slap in the face to me because I was like, oh gosh, you know, wow, here I am preaching it. And I don't think I'm doing it. And it doesn't mean my students can't not turn things in. They have to. It doesn't mean my children, my own children, shouldn't be kind humans that want to try hard. And if I'm not showing up that way, how can I expect them to? So that has been one of the biggest learnings for me of late. (laughs) And it's just a constant work. I'm a constant work in progress with that. We did a solo episode where we talked about nurturing your, your children's interests and like, yes. when do you accelerate it? When do you create a cutoff? And one of our good friends, when he was growing up, his parents said, you can try anything you'd like to do, but you have to stick with it for three months, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. So with your students, and you started to notice like those four that weren't really catching on or didn't seem to, to be responding well to this idea. If you're a parent and you want to approach this, of course, every child is different, but what are like telltale signs or like, what are ways that if you wanted to incorporate something like this in their interests and and support them in that way that you could say, okay, maybe in this instance, it's not working. Like this is, this is not coming to fruition in the way that I maybe thought it would. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question too, because I've, I've been through it with my own kids where um, dance class, you know, I, both the girls showed, both my daughters showed interest in dance. And I said, okay, well, do you want to, this was pre COVID. I said, do you want to take a dance class? And they're like, yes, yes, yes. They were so excited. And 
I asked them a few curious questions like, hey, what makes you want to dance? What are you curious about? What do you hope? What kind of dance do you love the most? You know, when we, when we watch this movie, what do you love about dancing? Right? Like all these questions to make sure, is this something we want to spend the money on? Is it something that they want to do? Are they old enough? You know, they were two and five. So was it appropriate age-wise to do? I don't know, or two and almost five they were. And so we did it. And what I was noticing is it was a struggle after a few classes, pulling back, not wanting to go. Um, one of them kind of liking it. The other one being like, I don't know, nervousness, you know, um, withdrawn from it, right? But that's not what you want. You want your kids to be engaged. Now we did start it and there was a few sessions left and that was a key. We signed up for only like a six session thing. So I know sometimes you can't help it. And it's like, you got to sign up for the year, but this felt safe for us to sign up for something that's only six, six sessions. That way, if they really don't like it, we'll try to follow through. Ultimately, if it was causing like mental harm to them or they were like screaming and freaking out, I would be like, okay, this is too much for my children. They, it's, not enough, it's not enough for me to push them. However, what we do talk about is we're going to start something and it really is important for us to finish because no matter what, we're going to learn something. We're going to learn what we liked about it, what we didn't, if there's something else we want to explore instead, right? And that's just an important life lesson. When you start something, how can we finish in some way? Maybe it's not finished perfect, but how can we, what does our finish look like? So for one of my daughters, the finish was not completing the course because the finish was, that was enough. It was a clear, just battle. And one that I was like, I don't want this to have mental harm on her later. So this is enough. The other one, it was like, I think she can finish and we'll just see what happens from there. So I think it's a personal call, but I think that's really what it was. It was about evaluating at different points in time of what is the impact? Is it just like they're whiny and they don't feel like leaving the house? Well, let's go. We're going to do this and see what kind of fun we have. Or is it that this child is so upset by even the thought of this? That's not what I want for my children. So it's a line. It's a line and it's a lot of observation from us, right? Of what works and just when is that completion important or when can we just call it what it is? There are so many parents that probably have children that are in school and, or maybe they're like graduating and they're about to go to college. And there can be a lot of conversation around schooling now because like the world changed so quickly in the last year. It's like, and, and I think even from when like the three of us were in school, the idea was you have to go to college, you have to get a degree to work in whatever field you're in. And that still holds true for many people. But there are a lot of kids, like if you ask yourself or any of your friends, like how many people, and if they were sitting in a room and it was like, raise your hand if you enjoyed school, how many people would actually raise their hand? And it's like the, all the time that you spend, all of the energy that you're spending, and it's meant to be something positive and enjoyable where you're learning and you're growing. And it's like, school for many people is like inevitable. Like you're going to have to complete at least high school education. There's, there's foundational learning there, but along the way, how can we make it more enjoyable? And then when it comes to preparing for college or like 
those next steps, I'd love to get your feedback on when for parents, do they determine, okay, maybe I should sort of encourage or push my child to go to school. And when, when is it, maybe that's not the right path for them. Is it our mental conditioning that it's like, okay, well, if you have a degree, you're safe versus seeing maybe your child has an aptitude for some skill, like they're a photographer or they, maybe they're a model or, you know, or they're an entrepreneur and it's like yeah. aspects that are not necessarily learned in a classroom. They're really learned by doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a tricky question, right? Because it's going to be such a personal choice for each family and based off of their own values, right? So we have huge conversations about values in our family and in my classroom. And I think that's a great place for parents to start is do some value mining where it's you ask some powerful questions about really to figure out what are your core values, right? Because when we are saying yes to things, it's usually because it aligns with our core values. Like saying yes to this was so easy because I love the two of you. I value this. I value emotional connection. I value teaching and discussing this stuff. So this was an easy yes. And if someone were going to offer me a lot of money, which this has happened to me, they've offered me a lot more money to sit behind a desk all day to do a job. That is such an easy no, because it goes against my values. It makes me go like, ugh, because it's rubbing against my emotional connection that I get with my students. I don't want to sit behind a desk. Not that that's wrong for everybody, just for me personally. It's not with my values. Money is lovely. We need it to live, but more money for doing that is not going to align with my personal values. So I share this because I think about my values a lot and that helps me say yes to things and no to things. And when we talk to our children about what they value, like I think it's great exercises for the families to sit down and ask, what are our family values? What do we value as a family? What do we value each as individuals and how can we honor each other's values? Because let's say, you know, I, I have a family right now that I'm working with and the son loves video games. He loves them. He loves video games. And there's a lot of actual positives that come out of being, being into video games. You can learn a lot. And now with the social aspect of video games, especially since the pandemic, it's really incredible that you can have this social side, whatever. Do we, do we want kids to get outside and run around and do all the things? Of course. And we do see some students now, some kids that are so passionate about the virtual world. And I can see this kid growing up to either be a YouTube star, to be a video game creator, to do any of these things. And, uh, you know, that's a question. What do you value? And then as the parents, how can we support those values? While also, if it's the parent's value to be outside with their child, then they need to find a balance, right? So I think that's the key word, in my opinion, is balance. How can we find a balance of all of these values? Uh, and then also really just showing up curious with your kids, right? It can't necessarily be our agenda all the time. I constantly see parents taking their kids all over the place. Like they're going to, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm just saying what I see for me. Like they're like, oh, I'm taking my kid to hockey. I'm taking my kid to soccer. I'm taking my kid to field hockey. I'm taking my kid to art class. I'm taking my kid to gymnastics. What are you doing? And I was like, 
we're just hanging out. <laughs> I'm like, we're playing with dinosaurs. You know, it's just, and it's funny because I really don't push it at this age. My kids are young, they're eight and under. And I kind of say, hey kids, if there's ever anything you want to try, come to me and let's do that. So one of my kids is really excited about horses. She's going to try a five-day horse camp this summer. And if she loves that, we'll do some horse lessons in the fall. You know, I'm all about it, but it's because she's tried it. It was a safe environment. I'm not signing her up for like a year's worth of horse camp. We just want to see if she likes it enough to go and do it. And the other one is really gotten into dance from watching these movies. She's like, Hey mom, I think I want to try dance again. Great. Signed her up for a dance camp. And this summer's a great opportunity, parents, because we can do these little camps that are like a week long to have them test their, you know, liking. Do they like it? Are they curious? Are they cool? If not, you follow through for a week and we're done with that. Or you stay, right? Both my girls are going to do gymnastics for a week because they're curious about that now. So I just, I just think that's a really cool thing is asking, letting them sometimes take the lead. And then for me, I might say, hey, I found this really cool shop where you can make bath bombs and you can make candles and soaps. Do you have any interest in that? And they're like, huh, yeah, mom, that sounds cool. And now they're addicted. So we go like once every couple of months to make all of these things and it's an event. So I think sometimes it can come from us and introducing them to things that they've never heard of that that was even possible, right? And then also, what are they curious about? And do we have an opportunity to provide those experiences for them. So, I mean, that's what we're trying to do because sometimes I do feel guilty, like, oh gosh, I'm not doing enough with my kids. But then I look at my kids and I'm like, they're happy. I'm not running around crazy, making them do things that they don't want to do. If I was running around crazy, making them do things they want to do, heck yes. But I remember, just like you all said, growing up, my parents drove me around crazy to all these things. I didn't want to do all of them. I wanted to play softball and that was pretty much it. I didn't want to do all the other things. And I was like running crazy. Like I, there was different stages. Like I loved gymnastics at one point. I loved softball, but I didn't need to be going from this to that, to this, to that seven experiences in a week. And I'm sure my parents would have been like, I wish I would have known I could have saved the money and the energy and the gas driving around like that to do it. Because I do see some of the parents and they're like, I'm making myself nuts spending 30 hours on this and this and this and this, and they don't get a break. And sometimes the kids are like, I don't even want to be doing it. So I don't know. I, it'll be curious to see for me as my kids get older, because there might be some parents out there going, wait until she's got middle schoolers, wait until she's got high schoolers. And they're probably right. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see as my kids get older, am I going to try to merge them more? I don't know. But so far, we're not really that much in a rush unless they're asking. You talk quite a bit about the importance of empathy in everything that you do. Will you share a little bit more on why empathy over maybe sympathy or some of the other feeling aspects? Oh, yeah. I'm very open about this. I know miscarriage and, and perinatal loss seems to be a very taboo topic. People don't always get comfortable. When I bring it up, they're like, what? and I'm just totally fine with it. Like it got to the point where people were like, where were you last week? I didn't see you. And I'm like, oh, I had a miscarriage. How are you? You know, I was so open about it because I just was like, I'm not going to hide this. I didn't do anything wrong. It was just so crazy in my head to just be like, I have to hide this. And, and so 
we um, we lost our son just about halfway through pregnancy in 2018. Um, he had a chromosomal abnormality. And it was it was extremely severe, very very rare, and extremely severe. And then we got pregnant again, and we lost our daughter towards the end of the first trimester to Turner syndrome, which is another chromosomal abnormality, much more common than what Logan had, uh, and that was called Smith McGinnis syndrome. Even the doctors hadn't heard of it. Like we were like, "What is this?" They're like, "We have no idea. <laughs> We've never heard of this." Uh, so when we lost the babies, I. What, what led me to more empathy was I lost Logan in the middle of my fall semester in 2018. And I decided to be extremely open with my students. I always try to be very open and honest with my students. I feel like we work really hard to build a strong foundation and relationship together. So I felt comfortable saying, um, hey, and, and I was showing, I mean, they knew I was pregnant at that point when you're halfway through, you know, you, you're pregnant. I'm not like, you're not, sorry, that was horrible to say. You're always pregnant. As soon as you get pregnant, you're pregnant. But my point is people could see that I was pregnant. I was hiding that I was pregnant because there was always something wrong with the pregnancy and I didn't know what was gonna happen with it. We didn't tell the kids until a certain point. I mean, we were just very careful about it because no one really knew and we didn't know what was going on. And as soon as I was showing, everybody knows you're pregnant, you know? So my students knew, and I did tell them, I said, you know, I'm gonna be out this week. We lost the baby. And my students were incredible about it. They were writing back to me constantly, you know, how can we support you? I'm so sorry, I'm praying for you. So many different things. And I just really thought how lovely that they were so kind and thoughtful. I had a procedure, I had a D&E procedure with Logan. Um, when he passed away and I went back to work within the week. And while I was teaching a week later, and if this is too much, I, I understand, but I went back to work. It was about 10 days after the surgery. And in the middle of my lesson, uh, my students were prepping their lessons to teach. And in the middle of working with them, I, I was, I started to hemorrhage and I, I didn't know what to do because I was like, I don't want to scare them, but I need to go to the hospital now. So I just kind of, I, I call, I had my phone. I called my, my person next door. I was like, I think I need to go to the hospital. Can you call 911? Like, I can't move. This is not good. So my students, I just said, I, I think I need you all to wheel me out. Like, I'm going to go to the hospital, stay here. I trust you to do your work. And I look forward to coming back and we'll continue since. They were great and they rolled me outside to the ambulance and I went to the hospital and I almost died. It was really scary and um, amazing surgeons uh, who I am still near and dear to saved my life. And after that, and my students started coming to me and sharing with me that they've had miscarriages and sharing with me that they've lost people in their life, just really it opened up this entire world. And there were some people that were just like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Oh, I can't imagine. And that didn't feel good. And other people would say things like, oh, don't ever try again. I never want you to have to go through that again. And I'm like, oh, it's my uterus. So it's my choice. You know, it was just a little tricky. And I knew that it was just because people were caring about me and they didn't know what to say. And at the same time, I felt like I was giving so much grace to everyone else. I wasn't giving any grace to myself. So I watched a Brene Brown video clip 
on sympathy versus empathy. And it was so powerful because one part of her clip, she talks about, you know, sympathy is you're in the hole and somebody's up there like, oh, oh gosh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. You want a sandwich? Well, empathy is I'm going to crawl down into the hole with you. And even if I haven't had the same experience, I'm just going to sit with you and I'm just going to be with you and I'm going to um, hug you. And I'm not going to say things like, at least you have two living children. At least you can get pregnant. Right. So that was extremely powerful for me. And then when we lost Ava, I was very open with my class. Hey, went through another one, lost another baby. I'm going to be out this week. And again, it opened up even more for the students to be talking to me about it. And at that point, I just kind of said to my perinatal therapist, I can't sit here and do this anymore. I, I need something to do with this. I need to talk about it and help people. So she said, well, I'm starting a perinatal charity. Do you want to be on board? And I said, yes. So now I'm the vice president of the Bill Sweeney charity, which is so important because one in four families experience a miscarriage or an infant loss. And it is so scary and it is so terrible and there's not enough resources. And the nurses and doctors, some of them were amazing in giving us that empathy. And some of them were like, here's a tissue uh, and just kind of left the room. They just didn't know how to, how to show that empathy. So we train doctors and nurses on empathy training. Uh, you know, it was one of my nurses that actually said to me, you'll always have another child just have the children you have now with legs and you have the other child, you know, with wings. And now we have two with wings. And I have to be very specific because I did say one time to someone that I have, you know, um, you know, I had the time two with legs and one with wings. And they were like, what kind of bird do you have? And I was like, mm, yeah, no, nope, not a bird. My son died. So it was, you know, kind of traumatic that way. So I think that, you know, being open and honest and the fact that I'm comfortable talking about, I think people feel more comfortable engaging in that conversation with me. And because of that, my empathy has really soared where I start to think about, gosh, my, my, the people I'm teaching right now, some of them are teaching full time, virtual and face-to-face. -face. So hybrid teaching while taking all these classes because they have to get certified. So what does it do to me if I'm like, sure, take an extra day or two to turn it in? Okay, absolutely. And admittedly, even two years ago, I didn't do that. I'd be like, it's either in or it's not. And the empathy has allowed me to do that. Yesterday, I called my entire roster of students before the class started. And I said, hey, just wanted to check in and let you know we're getting started on Monday officially, but tomorrow the course opens. Do you have any questions? And I think so many were just like, I've never had a professor call me. This is, I was just surprised to hear from you. This is cool. Actually, yeah, I thought the course started in two weeks. So thanks. Or yes, I do have a question about the text or about this or what's allowed or, and I was able to tell them all, hey, and if you need an extension, just let me know. Like, I know that you're dealing with a lot and I know they appreciated that because I would appreciate that. And that's empathy, right? Getting in their shoes, what might they need? And if I don't know what they need, I can ask, what do you need? It's a simple question. What could help you? And even with like our children and extending that to them and thinking about how they interact with people and they interact with the world, it's like, okay, well that, that kid is showing up late every day. Well, like why, why do you think that kid could show up late every day? You know, do you think that they want to show up late? Do you think that that makes them feel good? Or do you think something else might be going on? 
And can you put yourself in their shoes? You know, sympathy is like you said, you just kind of see from afar and you're like, okay, but empathy is like, well, imagine being in that person's shoes. Like, I can't imagine it. Well, like try to imagine it. Like imagine (laughs) it, like do it, imagine it. What do you think that would feel like? And that is where you cultivate it. Like, do you think that kid that comes in late every day wants to feel all the eyes on them and, and have that feeling? No, you know, and there could be so many circumstances outside of someone's control and they're just doing the best they can. And it's like trying to teach that, you know, as adults, we learn it. I think for some people it can be like very intrinsic, but I think it can also be learned. And then, but also cultivating that mindset. We'll we'll have just a much more peaceful, flexible, understanding, supportive world if we do that. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like the, the biggest question that we can do for anybody is how can I support you? Right. Because we're showing empathy. We're showing support. And I remember seeing the two of you at that house we rented in California when you came to visit and I had told you that we just had lost another baby and you were both so empathetic. You were like, that must have been hard. And it, it was hard. And thank you for acknowledging that because it's still hard, right? Even though I'm okay talking about it, doesn't mean I don't think about them every single day. And it doesn't matter if you lose a baby the day after you find out you're pregnant or if you lose a baby at 15 weeks, at 30 weeks, at 40 weeks, you've lost something, you know, that you had hopes of a future for. It's extremely difficult. It's the same as, you know, people, when, when they go through and they've lost, it it can be anything that they've lost, right? An opportunity, a relationship, uh, a, a job, you know, there's so many things. So showing up empathetic, it can make all the difference for a person because sympathy just can make you feel worse. And when you're already feeling here, you don't want to be pushed down to here. Like, how can I be supported to go up wherever I need to go? And I think empathy is, it's, it is a, it is an, it is learned for many people, like you said. So we just have to keep trying to model that and showing that. And I appreciate what you said. That is my hope that the students see, okay, wow, we can do these things with our own students too, right? We can show up that way in the world. Um, because it's, I think the world could use a lot more empathy because there is a lot of finger pointing and blame and anger and, you know, it's hard. If you had to leave our audience with a takeaway, like a key takeaway, what would you want to leave them with? Hmm. I think, you know, this kind of can encompass everyone, parents, teachers, humans, give grace That has been a huge thing for me because that encompasses everything. You have to tap into your mindset to do it. You have to show kindness and empathy to do it. You are using a key virtue of grace. So really it sums it up by giving grace. And when we can give ourselves grace, like, oh gosh, I messed up. Be kind to myself, Jackie, like you're not a horrible person, you messed up. So what do you need to do now to learn from that? So it doesn't happen again. And how can you connect with that person to write that? And sometimes you can't write that because the moment's gone or the person's gone. And how can you move on from here, giving yourself grace and giving other people grace. You know, it was hard for me to give grace to the people that hurt me over the years. 
but what a beautiful release it is to forgive, to give grace. I mean, that's powerful. There's a lot of power in that. And I think we need to do that. I need to give myself grace as a mom every single day and as a human and as a professor every single day, because we're never going to be perfect. And even if we think we're showing up that way, we're probably insulting somebody somewhere. So grace. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a quote. It's like, you're, you may not know this, but you could always be the villain in someone's story. And it's like, Ooh, yeah, you're right. I, I might be, I didn't even realize it. But then on the flip side of it, like most of us, like you're saying are pretty hard yeah. on ourselves. We can be the yeah. hardest on ourselves. You mentioned a couple, but if there are any resources that you would want to leave the audience with, what's like a, a favorite resource? Yeah. I mean, I think for schools, looking into mastery.org is important because not everybody can afford Montessori. And as beautiful as it is, mastery.org is allowing schools to embrace at least the grading aspect and the learning and intrinsic motivation and uh, I would say alternative assessment way of learning. So mastery.org is really cool for K through 12, especially to see what can they do for their institutions so that instead of giving students grades, they can master and show evidence of that with these beautiful portfolios that are more impactful for life. Because what you said before, we are not preparing all of these kids for college. We are preparing them for life. Life may include college, it may not. So what do we need to do to support them as they move forward? That's a great resource. Uh, for parents, I mean, like I said, mindset, I'm doing with my daughter right now, we're reading the Big Life Journal. It was like 20 bucks online and it is awesome. I mean, it's all about growth mindset. There's exercises, she and I get quality time together to do that. Uh, and I really am loving that with her. We honestly need to do it more often. We do it once every couple of weeks and we need to really sit down and do it more. I think now that summer's coming, we're gonna make that a weekly thing. And uh, the Virtues, Virtues Project, really amazing. There's great little videos. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just think anything we can learn about empathy, really, is just going to help us because it can make the biggest difference. And where can anyone find you if they wanted to reach out and connect? Well, I'll leave you with my email. That's for sure. The email, I used to have a company that we ran for five years on educational strategies and we loved it. And it was time to part ways. However, we wrote an ebook. And if anyone would like that, I am thrilled to give it for free because I'm all about sharing strategies in the classroom that can engage students in really fun educational activities that create that intrinsic motivation to learn. So that's free. They can get that from me. The email is jdgambone. Uh, so jdgam as in Mary, b as in boy, o, n as in Nancy, e, at aacc.edu. Well, thank you, Jackie. We loved having you on. I feel like I could do this for like another 20 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I would oh, just be I like, I miss you both so much. So this was wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us to help elevate the vibe. Thank you. 
Hey there, Vibe Hive babes. If this podcast has brought you any value, please rate and review on your favorite listening platform. And if you're feeling really generous, share with a friend. Visit us at elevatethevibe.co for show notes on this episode and previous episodes. This podcast is intended to educate, entertain, and inspire. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions you may have. And as always, thank you for joining us to Elevate the Vibe.